Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. In today's gospel, Jesus talks about abiding in his word and being a disciple of truth, also knowing the truth and being set free through the truth of God's word without using two words that we often like to talk about. He doesn't use the words believe or faith at all when he talks about being set free and receiving this uh, gift of eternal life which Jesus offers. But yet, of course, Jesus is speaking to those who believe in him. I bring this up for a couple of reasons. One, today is Reformation Day. And that is one of the things that we often talk about when reflecting back on the Reformation, about faith alone. Another reason is that oftentimes people make faith the central element of their faith as opposed to Jesus. And as a result, there is some things that need to be uh, clarified with respect to our understanding of the faith. So when reflecting on the Reformation, we often think about the three alones of the Reformation, or in Latin, the, the solas of the Reformation, grace alone, scripture alone, and faith alone. We emphasize these uh, when reflecting on the Reformation because they are not only important as historical events or historic truths, but they also summarize some key uh, issues at the time of the Reformation, and they remain true for us today. So grace alone is that we have no sort of internal goodness or natural righteousness that caused God to do what he did. It's not from our own merits or deeds that brought about God to love us and send his only begotten son to save us from our sin. Instead, God out of his graciousness, God out of his favor toward us, which is undeserved, he chose to send to us his only begotten son. So even when Adam and Eve were trying to hide from God after they had first sinned, God then comes up to them and promises to them a savior. They did not deserve it, but he gave it to them anyway. That is God's grace. Scripture alone shows us that God reveals himself only through the scriptures. What this means is we do not need academic scholars or church tradition to tell us or inform us more concerning divine and holy things, who God is and what he has done. But what we do know from this is that Holy Scripture constitutes the sole source and norm of all legitimate Christian teaching. Then finally, with faith alone, it shows that we are not saved by our works, but instead salvation comes to us by grace through faith. And this faith is worked by God the Holy Spirit through the means of grace. God delivers to us his salvation by grace through this faith. Of course, all of these teachings are still important to know today, to understand today, to reflect on today, and even to rejoice in. Our teaching has not changed since the Reformation. And part of the reason for it is, of course, God himself is unchangeable, as we have just sung in our opening hymn. So is God's word. We do not need any revelations or new revelations of God's will 
or his ways because we are now in the 21st century. That is something that's always been a temptation for people to think. Oh, we are more advanced. We live in a more modern time than the generation that's gone before us. We can see even examples of people thinking that in the Old Testament. And yet God keeps telling them to return back to his life-giving, unchanging, saving word of God. What has always remained the same, in addition to God's word, is the reality that we have still inherited the sinful flesh of Adam. And the way in which God then grants to us salvation remains the same. The church does not need to get with the times, as many assert. Yet we also have to recognize that the church is always in need of a reformation. I remember all the way back in 1998, reading a magazine called The Lutheran. It is uh, the ELCA's version of The Lutheran Witness. And in that issue, that monthly magazine, I believe it was, uh, they had reflected on our own church body's uh, convention, our synod's convention. Dr. Alvin Berry was reelected. A few doctrinal resolutions were passed, which basically affirmed the biblical truths. But in that magazine, The Lutheran, they criticized the Missouri Synod for, not, for, for being the same and for not changing. And in their article, their commentary, they invited us in the Missouri Synod to do as they do, which is to participate in the ongoing reformation in the spirit of Martin Luther. At least that's how they described it. So their understanding of the Reformation is much different than ours. Uh, the times were certainly changing at the time of the Reformation, which was, it began 504 years ago on this day when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the castle church door in Wittenberg, October 31st, 1517. At that time, the Renaissance was beginning. The New World had already been discovered, and there was a marked increase in inventions. You could say that Europe was coming out of the Dark Age. I've seen some people comment that coffee was arriving into Europe, and that is what stemmed it all, but I digress. Some will connect these events with uh, Luther's nailing of the 95 Theses on this day in 1517 as a way to say, see, look, the whole world was changing. Luther participated in this change by nailing the 95 Theses. And therefore, just as the church changed with the world in those days, the church needs to change with the world in our day. That's the assertion that some make. But what was Luther actually doing? Was he just saying, oh, look, the world around us is changing. Therefore, I'm going to participate in this movement of change. Instead, what Luther was doing is he was studying the scriptures, and he was finding that through his study of the scriptures, the church had changed from what the scriptures were teaching. And Luther, by nailing the 95 Theses to the castle church door in Wittenberg, he was trying to get the church to return to her roots, back to the word of God, to change not for the sake of change, but to change to match that which is written in those ancient scriptures. So by that time in the history of the church, Christian, many, sadly, many Christian teachings had been distorted. Some were corrupted. Some practices weren't very good. 
For example, services were only conducted in the Latin, which, of course, most people did not understand. The people were only offered the body of Jesus, the, the, that is, the, the bread. They were not given the wine, that is, the body of our, or the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ in Holy Communion. Many were threatened with purgatory and were taught to purchase indulgences. They were led to believe that the most holy living was not to serve their family or to live a life of godly vocation, but instead to become a monk or a nun and live in a cloister. But as the Reformation gained traction, the services began to be offered in the languages of the people. In fact, this, at this very time, 500 years ago, Luther was in the Wartburg Castle in hiding, not by his choice, but because there was a warrant out for him, for his arrest and for his death. And while he was there, he was translating the New Testament from the Greek into German, the language of his people. So that way, soon, the New Testament would be published and the people could actually read for the first time the Bible in their own language. The blood of Jesus began to be offered each Sunday in Holy Communion. Threats of purgatory were replaced with the splendid teaching of the gospel, that it is a free gift granted to you out of the merits of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Christian vocation began to be taught as a way to truly live a God-pleasing life. In all of this, the Reformation was a return to the Bible. It recovered the biblical truth that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone. So when our church body still teaches these truths, the same things as the reformers did, we should not be criticized or be asked to engage in another type of ongoing reformation. The ELCA's drive for an ongoing reformation is caused by their rejection of Scripture alone. I heard an address given just this past week by their bishop in which uh, so that is their equivalent of a synod president. And in this address, the lady, uh, she said that we need to return to the catechism. Very fine thing to implore the people to do. But because they do not accept the Bible at, in its entirety as the divinely inspired inerrant word of God, she was reflecting on how society is changing and how the church can't match society, but she couldn't tell them to turn back to the Bible because they don't hold to the whole Bible as being true, which is very sad. In fact, you can read a lot of what they believe concerning uh, the scriptures in their own version of the Lutheran Study Bible. It's a blue book, not uh, that maroonish color that we have for our Lutheran Study Bible. And it is very sad that many mainline Christian denominations teach as they do. As I talked about last week, a rejection of the creation account and many other things that are found in the scriptures. So in contrast to their modern liberal ideas, Jesus teaches true discipleship in today's gospel where he says, abide in my word. We don't abide in the majority vote of conventions we don't abide by personal opinion. We don't abide by the trends of our day and age. We don't even abide in a person like Martin Luther. 
For the Reformation is not about hero worship, but it is about abiding in the word of Christ. The Reformation recovered the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yet the church, we still do admit, is always in need of a Reformation. And I'm not talking about the one that I just described where we just keep on changing to match the times. But instead, the church is always in need of a reformation in the sense that the church must always be willing to return to Christ and to the pure word of Christ. For it is very easy to get off track. It is easy to lose our focus and lose our way. The abuses that occurred in the church at the time of the Reformation did not arise overnight, but they came about gradually. Sometimes those changes came about so slowly and so suddenly that the people did not even realize that the church had changed her position or lost her way on certain matters. I think about it even today. Churches may adopt a new official doctrinal teaching, but the people don't always get word of it. They don't always learn of it. And then it might start showing up in Sunday school materials, so that way the next generation hears about it, and they're taught it, and then those who are older may not even know that their church had changed the teachings of their own church body. The devil knows that introducing false beliefs slowly is easier than trying to get everyone on board overnight. And so we must, as Jesus teaches, abide in his word and know the truth. Abide in his word, know the truth. This involves much more than just going through the motions and confirmation, but it involves a lifelong study of God's word. It means committing to going to church week after week. It means taking our Bibles, dusting them off, reading them, delighting in them, feeding on that word of God, inwardly digesting it, it means engaging in family devotions. It means delighting in Bible study. That way you can know the truth. You can be a disciple of Christ. You can be set free from your sin and from death and from the devil. But when we look at church attendance rates among those who consider themselves of the household of faith or perhaps consider themselves Lutheran, when we look at how many people eventually land in other churches which do not have that pure gospel, when we look at how low biblical literacy often is among those who even sit in our pews, and, we look, and when we look at how few people study the scriptures and pray outside of Sunday morning services, we can see that we need to keep on returning to that word of God. We can see how much we need to follow these words of Jesus to abide in his word so that we may know the truth. And from this, we can also see that the Reformation remains necessary. Now, I began by talking about how Jesus talked about matters of faith without actually using the word believe or, with, or, or faith. But because the Reformation did focus on faith alone, and this is an area that I have seen, we constantly need Reformation. I think it is worth talking about this concept of faith. Faith is a gift of God. In fact, God, the Holy Spirit, works faith in us through the word of God. We even believe that we cannot, by our own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ our Lord or come to him. John chapter 6 
they had asked him, what may we do to do the works of God? And Jesus says, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one whom he has sent. So Jesus talks about faith, but this faith, it is something that God himself works in us, and faith clings to that which is outside of us. That is, faith clings to the gospel of Jesus, for Jesus alone died for us. Yet society has changed faith into something that often is unbiblical and goes against this meaning of faith alone. Many now understand faith to be something that a person creates in himself when he feels that he has it or has convinced himself that he is going to heaven and then he convinces himself that he is going to heaven. Now you might be thinking, well, that's exactly why we need faith. We need faith to go to heaven. And that is certainly true. But this is where the error arises. Some think that they have faith, that they have worked faith themselves and therefore, because they have worked this faith in themselves, they don't feel that they need to abide in Christ's word or know the truth. There are many who feel that they have conjured up faith in themse by themselves so that they do not feel that they need to go to church or listen to what God says is godly living or to support the gospel in their midst through various forms of stewardship or even teach their children the faith. Anyone can say that they have faith, but what is their faith in? And if they have faith, why do they not demonstrate it by hearing Christ and receiving the gifts which he lovingly and freely offers? True faith will guide people to abide in the word of Christ and to know the truth. The second error with respect to faith is that they often turn faith into a mere opinion. So one person will say, well, I believe this, and another person will say, I believe that. And we're taught in our day that we need to accept all of these different viewpoints. Many firmly believe things, though, that are not biblical. And when people believe things that contradict the scriptures, their belief is not to be regarded as true faith, for their belief is false belief. Therefore, we pray, lead us not into temptation. And when we do so, we are praying that God would guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our own sinful nature will not deceive us or mislead us into false belief, despair, and other great shame and vice, as we have learned in the Catechism. Through faith, we personally receive what Jesus earned for us on the cross. That is, we receive the forgiveness of sins that Jesus earned for us when he shed his innocent blood on our behalf, when he died in our place. So this is given to us individually by grace through faith. We can say, in a sense, faith is not personal. And what I mean by that is faith is not one person's opinion. Faith is personal in the sense that we personally receive forgiveness of sins through faith, but we do not reduce faith into a personal ind or individual thought. For faith is something far greater than that. Remember, faith is worked by God the Holy Spirit. And through this faith, God acquits sinners of their sin. And God covers sinners with the very righteousness of Christ. And God declares that sinners are now acceptable to heaven. And sinners are adopted as sons of God. And that is also why we talk about the faith. Faith in an objective sense. We confess the Christian faith. We're not confessing a personal notion or thought or an idea, but we confess the faith. We do so most clearly when we confess the creeds of the church, for faith clings to Christ, and the creeds focus 
on the works of our triune God, namely, especially, the work of Christ. Faith is a marvelous working of God. For if you abide in his word, you are his disciples, and you shall know the truth, and, as Jesus says, the truth shall set you free, that you become children of God, and eternal life becomes yours. The gates of heaven are open. So no matter what can happen to you in this life, you can know that you remain a forgiven child, one who is going to be with the Lord when you breathe your last. The Son of God sets you free through his own death and through his resurrection, and his spirit sets you free by working in you the true faith, a marvelous possession. And therefore, if the Son sets you free, you shall truly be free. Amen. In the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.